wow, wicked, wicked, wow, wow, west. Jim West, desperado, rough rider. No, you don't want none of, none of this six gun and this brother running this buffalo soldier. Look, it's like I told you. Any damsel that's in distress, be out of that dress when you meet Jim West. Rough next to go, check the law, abide. What your step will flex and get a hold of your side, swallow your pride. Don't let your lip react. You don't want to see my hand when my hip be at. With all of this, from the start of this, running the game, James West, taming the West. So remember the name. Now who you gonna call? Not the GBs. Now who you gonna <laughs> call? G-double-A-G. If you wanna whip, whip, you wanna bust, break out before you get bum-rushed to the box office time machine. This week we're doing American <laughs> Beauty. Toot-toot! Time travelers. Did we introduce ourselves last week? Uh, we did not. We can this week, and, and then you can superimpose week. it. All right. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm John. I am Veronica. Or Cisco. Cisco. <laughs> <laughs> now, I, listen to those lyrics. Did um, what is the G A double? So it, don't call the G. I think it's J A. Actually, I think I'm mistaken. I think it's Jag. Or J A A G. What does that mean? I don't know. Jag wasn't. Isn't that like a marine? Well, you just had the lyrics up. It's not like you knew that by heart. Yeah, I I did know this by heart because I uh spoiler alert or I guess fun fact owned this on cassette when it first came out. (laughs) Well, that's okay. I had the um from the same year South Park Bigger Longer Uncut soundtrack on compact disc and knew every lyric to that by heart. Oh, I still do. As I proved to Kristen when we watched it because she'd never seen it before the other night and I was really stressed about work stuff and I was like. Hun, can we watch a South Park movie? <laughs> can we watch? Uh, mm, can we sing? It's easy. Okay. Uh, yeah, <laughs> Some of the lyrics have aged well, but. <laughs> I, I would imagine I'm super, which is, to be honest, my favorite number <laughs> has not aged well. That one, not, I'm trying to remember. Oh, God, there is. There were a few where I said, oh, um, the credit song. I don't know if... Um, Old Mountain Town? No, uh, Through the Eyes of a Child. I started oh, singing yeah. along to it as the credits were playing, and I was like, Through the eyes of a child, the world is magical. Sure, life is pretty gay. Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> that I had the same revelation. Uh, I think you were actually there. We were doing karaoke, mm-hmm. and I put on Spice, uh, Spice Up Your Life. And the Spice Girls? Yeah, the Spice Girls song. And there's uh, the second verse is Yellow Men in Timbuktu. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it starts with. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> and it continues with Kung Fu Fighting, <laughs> Dancing Queen. But now... Anyway. On to a movie that's aged perfectly, like a fine wine. I mean, I guess I would argue that um, 
I don't know that its reputation worsened no, since you're right. it premiered. That made it seem like it's gotten worse. It started <laughs> bad. It's still bad. Um, so wait, what is the lyric? Uh, don't call the GBs. It gave the Ghostbusters really planting his foot down, proclaiming Wild Wild West to be a better movie than Ghostbusters. And now who are you going to call J-double-A-G? J-double-A-G? Yeah. What the f- Jim, what the fuck does that stand so, for? Yeah, I don't know. His name is Jim West. So Rapgenius.com, not... help us out. Oh, yeah. So Google famously does not get its lyrics from Genius. They no, had a dispute. They swear, recently. they swear they don't steal it from Genius. But also, the if you guys ever need a fix of like very hardcore. A song appreciation you should go to the wild wild west rap genius page <laughs> it's one of the best ones are and you on it right now i'm on it right now uh, can i read you some selections yeah please okay so oh hold on this is not the right wild, wild west this is rap genius fucked up yeah. what Okay, so basically to just uh, prep the scene, basically every line in the first verse is annotated. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So uh, for the line of Wild Wild West, parentheses, yeah, the annotation is Cisco is excited to be a cowboy in a cowboy outfit and cannot help but drop a husky falsetto ad lib into this early into the song. So, okay, the J-double-A-G is Will Smith's character in the movie Wild Wild West was Jim West, J-dub, his partner Artemis Gordon. Oh. J-dub-A-G. So that's, he's not saying double-A. See, Google let us down, but had we gone to Rap Genius J-dub-A-G, Artemis Gordon, Jim West. Yes. Wow. How many rap songs do uh, name drop Kevin Klein characters? Uh, well, there's that famous Jay-Z rap about a fish called yeah, Wanda. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The I'm not stupid rap. Yeah. yeah. Sure. <laughs> don't call me stupid. And I mean, there's Hova, also. Don't call me stupid. <laughs> and, you know, yeah. And also about a painted house. For all of our listeners right here who still believe, oh, I had a painted house, a movie that I almost rented purely because thanks to Donnie Darko, I had a crush on Jenna Malone. Oh, she's in it? I remember I so. uh, Anakin and Skywalker's Hayden, in it. Yeah, Hayden yeah. Christensen. I remember um, watching it at the time, or like not watching the movie, but seeing the trailer and being like, this is one of the most boring things I, I've ever I, watched. I only remember it as a movie with Jenna Malone in it that looked too boring for me as a teenage boy to even rent, despite it having an actress I had a crush on. It's insane how boring even the title is. A painted house. As opposed to a uh, brick know. house? No, but like She's watching a brick. Pa- House. That song, of course, about the famous Kevin Klein character, uh, the farting guy from that time he hosted SNL. Of course. Uh, No, but like watching paint dry is literally a metaphor for boredom. (laughs) So I don't know. Anyway. uh, Anyway. This is not the Painted House podcast. And for all of our listeners, I'm sorry I pranked you. We are not talking about American Beauty. Uh, we are in fact yet. We not might. Yet. I mean, it's the same year because we have traveled back in time to 1999. 
do to do an episode on the classic not not very loved movie Wild Wild West. Picture this. It's two years after Men in Black fucking ruled. And mm-hmm. uh, I, I think we've talked plenty about it in our uh, well, it's plenty about it in our Men in Black International podcast. And I I watching this, I think this is a really good comparison to mm. Men in Black International. Um, uh, people were saying that, um, cause first off, both movies don't need to exist. Both movies only exist because other movies existed. Men in Black International only existed because Men in Black 1 had a lot, made a lot of money and because Chris Hemsworth and Tessa Thompson had a lot of chemistry in Thor Ragnarok. Mm-hmm. Wild Wild West only exists because, uh, Will Smith and Barry Sonnenfeld made a, had a, made a lot of money and did a good job in Men in Black and because Mission Impossible made a bunch of money at adapting a 1960s spy TV show. So now we get the Men in Black formula for a, an adaptation of the TV show Wild Wild West, which I've never seen, but the idea was it Wild was... Wild West. This was at a time where Western shows were being replaced by spy shows on TV. So someone had the idea, why don't we just combine them and make, quote, James Bond on a horse? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what Wild Wild West was. And this movie is apparently nothing like the show. And it's just a Steve Punk, steampunk nightmare. And it is very much just Men in Black in the West, only with a script with nothing funny to say, no funny jokes <laughs> Very similar to Men to Men in Black International. I gotta say, I enjoyed this a lot more than I did Men in Black International. This is my shame corner where I'm gonna admit that I kind of, sort of enjoy Wild Wild West. All right, all right, and I'm <laughs> and I'm gonna admit that I fell asleep three times during the third act and had to keep rewinding. I mean, rewinding I don't think it's a great movie. I just don't know why people shit on it so much. I guess no, no, I don't no. think it's amazing by any stretch i just think like this is like this amount of scorn should not be directed at i think yes like the sort of the circumstances you very well articulated thank you like do contribute to that like this was this was supposed to be like the third will smith like fourth of july blockbuster hit do we not count bad boys uh, I don't think that was that big. I think the count starts as Independence Day. I, I'm that's, a, that's fair. But so it, he had Independence Day, least, Men in Black. The third movie where uh, Will Smith plus a uh, dorky white guy. True. But it was like, so 96, like Will Smith had Independence Day, 97 Men in Black, 98 Enemy of the State, which was still pretty big. Probably my favorite Will Smith movie. I mean, I guess other fun. than Men in Black. Enemy of the State, pretty fun. And to go back to, I know a painted house as a Jenna Malone (laughs) movie. I know, as a New Jersey Kevin Smith fan, I know Enemy of the State as that great Jason Lee movie. Uh Oh yeah, he is as one of like the like the tech dudes, right? He's one of those. No, he's or is that Jamie? He's uh, the dude who gives um, Will Smith the the secret information at the beginning. Mm. Great movie. A lot of great actors. Gene Hackman, National Treasure, John Voight. Hold some money, probably, for the treasure. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, 
But yes, this was supposed to be like the next big thing, as you said, like reuniting Barry Sonnenfeld with Mm -hmm. the big, you know, his Men in Black star. With, I assume, also Bo Welsh doing production design, right? Right. And also it's supposed to be, I think, the most expensive Warner Brothers movie (laughs) ever produced at that point. And... Also produced by John, John Peters. Peters, famously. Um. Famously, also, we'll, I'm sure we'll be referencing Kevin Smith again later. All right. you view askew heads, get ready. Yeah. Um, but no, you're right, Veronica. This movie gets too much scorn. It doesn't deserve it because I got to say, definitely one of the funniest comedic scenes set at a lynching I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah. Boy, does that go on forever, and it's hilarious the whole time. It as funny as you would imagine a lynching scene to be. <laughs> I... Oh, it's crazy. I. That's the one part that's... That... I mean, the... Oh, we can do our... Well, maybe we'll save this, I don't know, for our woo, that wouldn't fly today scene. Or maybe we could save that for all the gay panic jokes right. and all the... Um, I mean, the major the major comedic ideas of this movie are um, uh, women's bodies are fun. Uh, <laughs> yes. Uh, uh, which, look, I'm not anti. Listen, as a woman, I think my body is pretty fun. It's, yes. And... Look, if you can tell a funny joke and have Selma Hayek's butt, great. If you can show Selma Hayek's joke and tell an un... Show Selma Hayek's butt joke. Uh, If you can show Selma Hayek's butt and have an unfunny joke, you've still got her butt. So we're still in the green. Yeah, there's like at least an audio and or visual element going on. You got 50%. For some reason, one of the things I mainly remember about this movie, so I saw in the theaters, but one of the things I remember is Selma Hayek on a late night show. And I wouldn't have really been watching late night shows at this time. I would have been um, uh, So this 12. is 99. Yeah, um, of course. <laughs> and, uh, and I would have remembered her. I remember her. It's either Conan or Letterman. And for some reason, the host is asking her if she does any nudity and she's in this movie. That's a very 1999 thing. I don't oh, think God. late night show hosts currently ask uh, starlets if they did nudity in their uh, new movie. Though they do ask Bernie Sanders. It's very confusing. <laughs> um, but I remember her saying, no, but there is a little peekaboo scene, as she described it. And she was describing the butt scene in oh, this God. movie. Uh, uh, the camera pans down and says, look, that, that's a butt. Oh, God. We also get bilings, but... Oh man, this For is all you crank, uh, uh, crank. Compared fans. to the crank two role that she did, this is like such a subtle depiction of Chinese Americans. <laughs> <laughs> and um, her last name is literally. East. That's true. Um, so, yeah. So, I guess uh, for those, I don't think we should spend too much time breaking down the plot. I mean, <laughs> I feel like there have been so many bad movie podcasts that have already tackled Wawa Is that true? I've, I missed them. I mean, I think definitely. I'm not it, surprised to hear that. I just yeah. haven't listened to them. But, yeah. So, uh, so and yeah. we, to be clear. Are no. not a bad movie. Yeah, podcast. we we a podcast who happens to watch bad movies because we, America made us. We are unique. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, so our our story begins with uh, a runaway man with a very sophisticated sort of steampunky 
cone on his neck being chased by a flying saucer knife of some kind. <laughs> and uh, he uh, finally, the knife catches up to him and uh, his neck is severed and Buffalo Bill <laughs> comes up. And uh, not the not the mythological figure, Buffalo Bill or I'm, I, Buffalo Bill is a real person. I think he was Wild real. Bill. Buffalo we, Bill Cody. That was his name. Oh, right. Wild Bill Higgock is what I'm thinking of. Yes. But no, uh, Buffalo Bill's performer from Sons of the Lambs. Ted yeah, Levine. yeah. Ted Levine. She puts the Gosh. lotion in the basket. And he's doing an equally good voice here. I would fuck myself hard. Hey, monk, solve that case. Goodbye, horses. <laughs> anyway, so, yeah, so he sort of, like, um, so he uh, kind of, like, finds him, and he's, like, uh, says some line that's quippy but not good that I forget. Anyway, that's our cold open. And what's his fun character design quirk? Oh yeah, so he has like a like a, some sort of like a trombone for an ear. <laughs> he has like a he, like an old timey but steampunky hearing aid that kind of looks like there's a horn coming out of his ear. To be clear, we are in a wacky steampunk universe, right? And instead of holding up an ear horn the way someone hard of hearing would at the time. Ted Levine is missing an ear and has a horn literally built into the side of his head. Guys, it's zany. We're going to have fun. I sound sarcastic. I want to be clear right now. The visuals of this movie are the best part of it. Yeah. Bar none. I would say that like the, all the steampunk elements kind of work. I oh, think they're the pretty fun. The character designs are great. Um, yeah. Half the female characters of this movie wear, have spider web boobs. Yeah. And they, they have like ha- wear corsets with are those co- are those corsets? Uh, I guess I guess you could argue. That's they more like, also, that sounds more Victorian. What what would those be called? I think they're still, corsets. They still corsets. Yeah, but yeah, their uh, uh, their boobs have spider webs <laughs> on. <laughs> yeah, but also like their backs, they have like what you would have as sort of like the under of like a poofy dress, mm-hmm. but they just have like that little like weird like skeleton thing on their backs too. Do you think when uh, the scene where Bai Ling reveals her butt and she's wearing a thong, do you think Cisco, while watching this movie to prepare to uh, for his appearance in the in the theme song, do you think that that's where he got the idea for the thong song? Oh, the Bai Ling song. The Bai Ling scene in this dun, movie. Dun, 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 dun. I was I did not remember that. I was genuinely I had a distinct memory of seeing this when I was twelve of Selma Hayek's butt. I did not remember by Ling's butt. Well, that's racist. Uh, moving on. Uh, and so we are then introduced to our half half of our heroes. Uh, yeah, Will Smith is uh, basically contaminating the water supply of one yeah, poor town. for real. By making out with the uh, female lead from the uh, Jamie Foxx show, whose name I forget. Thanks for calling it making out with. Isn't isn't that what he does? Making whoopee. <laughs> well, they are nude in a pool of water, yeah. presumably about to fuck. Yeah, that's true. But he's also, I guess, on a stakeout. Yes. And uh, yeah, so he is trying to. Uh, I don't know. Things are kind of vague, but so he is trying. That's to a good description. See, <laughs> so he is trying to bust these bad guys from doing a bad guy thing, <laughs> and uh, by also just. 
uh, pretending to still be interested in a very sexy lady that is naked right yeah. in front of him. And to give you an idea of the, of the type of comedy we're dealing with, um, he is looking at the bad guys through a hole in the, the wooden, they're in a water tower, and he's looking through the hole down, and she is upset that he's not paying attention to her. So she takes some fabric from somewhere and stuffs up the hole, and he says, um, hey now... A lady, a lady, you can't just, um, you can't just stick stuff in holes like that. And she says, oh, can't you? And he's like, well, not like that. Because now they're talking about sex. And the audience bursts into applause at the word, (laughs) at the level of wordplay we are, we have reached. (laughs) Yeah, there was a standing ovation in my living room. I'm going to point out every time the comedy is so so hard that the audience bursts into applause. Most of the times will be when um, a very masculine actor is dressed in drag. Uh, so this movie, I guess, is famously has like six writers. <laughs> and apparently, true? Yeah, so it started off with two writers who wrote a kind of like a serious adaptation of the show. Uh-huh. And then two writers were brought in to basically just add jokes and action. And it, yeah, it definitely feels like that's probably the... Of work of those guys. Uh, and so, anyway, things go south. The water tower uh, falls. Or I guess he falls from the water tower. Yeah, how does she stay in it? I was confused. Yeah, things are vague. We are not seeing her nudity, so she stays no. in. But just to be clear. There's definitely a black man penis joke, though, oh, yeah, in I that mean, upcoming thing. And there's something for everyone. We see Will Smith or his body doubles butt. So... If for those of you who thought we were just going to see Selma Hayek and Byling's ba- butts, we get a little willy willy butt too. Big willy butt. Big willy butt. Uh, and so yeah, so uh, yeah, there's a reference to like the white dude looking down at Will Smith drunk and being impressed by it, sort of. And yeah, they're fight, fight, fight. Uh, and then. And then it's time for us to go and encounter our next lead. And so we <laughs> flash on. I'm going to like, I, to be honest, I don't really remember the connection between these scenes, even though I saw it today. And it's, it's one of the weirdest non-introductions to a main character that I've seen until Men in Black International. <laughs> And so we go into a saloon. It's in a place that we then find out it's fairly close. Oh, I remember what it is. So Will Smith, uh, like, so those bad guys were supposed to transport nitrogen or... Nitro, yeah, nitroglycerin, TNT to uh, Bloodbath McGrath, uh, Ted Levine's character, who is at the saloon... Yes. And can you, so can you believe I watched this two hours ago? <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, so he sort of uh, jumps on to that, um, I guess, carriage and uh, the he the carriage stops very close to falling off a cliff which is where the saloon stands and we jump into the saloon and <laughs> we have Kelvin Klein and drag Kevin Klein and drag. Uh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Veronica, Kevin Klein's a man. What? Kevin Klein's a man. Are you telling me he's dressed like a woman? I mean, yeah. Sometimes men go undercover, John. Uh, hold hold up. 
I am doubling over with laughter. <laughs> I we need to pause the show. I'm just the memory of this scene is making me laugh so hard. John, do you not remember the scene where several men wanted to hit on him because they thought that he was clearly a woman? I think I blacked out because I laughed too hard and oh. I forgot the memory of how funny it was yeah. to see Kevin Klein in yeah, a dress. Yeah, he had several suitors. It was very believable. I really hope Will Smith doesn't get into a dress later in the movie because that would be too funny. It would be too funny T-W-O uh, anyway uh, so yeah so he's pretending to be uh, I guess a prostitute uh, in that saloon uh, attempting to seduce uh, Bloodbath McGrath aka Buffalo Bill uh, he lures him to an upstairs room he has a thingamajig in his belt that hypnotizes him and makes him think that he is a dog while also <laughs> trying to get him to talk about the plan that he they know that he is planning. Yeah, he says you will you will follow my directions like a dog, but the hypnosis is too good because Kevin Klein's inventions don't always work the right way. Mm-hmm. So Bloodbath McGrath literally thinks he's a dog and tries to explain what his evil plans are by barking. And weirdly, now that I describe it, that's a pretty funny joke. I mean, I that one's not bad. I like that. Again, as someone who semi enjoys Wild Wild West, I would say this is a passable joke. <laughs> anyway, Will Smith barges in, or uh, J Dub, <laughs> uh, and um, and yeah, so he barges into the saloon, ruining Calvin Klein's plans. Bloodbath McGrath escapes. Whatever shall we do? And so we cut to the White House. And, <laughs> and, and so, um, yeah, so Will Smith parks his horse right at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. It was a different time. It was a different time. You could just walk in there and sheep would just graze at the White I House. Did like the, I did like that. Yeah, the shot of all the sheep grazing on the lawn of the yeah. White House. It, it was fun. Visually, I was actually, so I, uh, like <laughs> I said, multiple times fell asleep during this movie and had to rewind. And every time I had to fast forward through it and watch, rewatch all the scenes I'd seen in fast motion, I'd be like, this looks great. No, this, this looks so fun. Grid looking. And then I'd press play and be like, this sucks. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and so uh, Will Smith is there to meet uh, President Ulysses S. Grant because this is the time that we're in. Uh, but, oh no, this is not President Grant. This is actually Kevin Klein pretending to be President Grant, which is confusing because he also actually does play President <laughs> Right. Yeah, this weird, subtle Dave remake doesn't really work. Yeah. Um, yeah, to, yeah, it's fine. Yeah. It's like, um, uh, uh, speaking of uh, movies adapted from 60s TV shows, the first Mission Impossible, um, the first reveal of the mask, I remember seeing that in the theaters, and so I would have been um, nine. Mm-hmm. And when Tom Cruise ripped off, like when the senator ripped off his mask to reveal it was Tom Cruise, it blew my fucking mind. And then I, 
that's still one of my favorite movies ever. <laughs> but every time I watch it, it's so clear that it's just Tom Cruise with a little bit of makeup on and that this senator character just happens to look exactly like Tom Cruise wearing a wig. Hey, I mean, you were nine. You were, yeah. Your brain was not fully It was developed. a different time. Uh, yeah, and so we find out what the... You know, the very clear attributes of each of our, you know, team members are. Which are what? How would you describe So, uh, So Jim West is basically Will Smith. Yeah. Uh, He's sort of every other Will Smith character. He's kind of cocky. He works alone. Uh, No-nonsense guy. And Kelvin Klein, I keep calling him Kelvin Klein, but it's Kelvin Klein. Did this come from science class? What is this? No. What? Kelvin Klein Kelvin is like the is underwear like, guy. That's Calvin Klein. Calvin Klein. Kelvin. I was Kelvin. thinking like Kelvin is like a Yeah, like a measuring. A, yeah. The measuring, the, the temperature. Never mind. Kelvin Klein. I, that's how I pronounce the underwear. You pronounce guy. Calvin as Kelvin? Wait, what's the so. name of the comic with the boy and his tiger? Calvin and Hobbes. Yeah, not Kelvin and Hobbes. I guess not. I don't know. Hobbes anyway. and Shaw. Hobbes and Shaw. <laughs> There's no struggle there. Uh, anyway, and so uh, Kevin Klein is a goofy mad scientist. He makes all. He basically makes a precursor for every modern adventure uh, invention that you can think of. But it's he, steampunk. It's yeah, fun. he makes like steampunk things. He gives them very elaborate names. I think there's a paragraph worth of words that is basically a bicycle. A bicycle. Yeah. Oh, it's very cute. And I, also, um, uh, if you're thinking this, you know, does this feel too similar to like uh, the dynamic between um, Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones and in, in, in Men in Black with Will Smith and Jeff Goldblum in Independence Day? No, because the big difference here is that um, Will Smith and uh, Kevin Klein's characters are both. Uh, raging assholes the entire movie yeah, to and each are other incredibly and unlikable the whole time. Yeah, that's very true. Uh, and so anyway, uh, President Grant says <laughs> that they must work together because he has to go to uh, wherever the place in Utah where they connected the railroads and um, to unveil that. Do you I think that's the unofficial called? title of every place in Utah. Just whatever the place, <laughs> Utah. <laughs> Whatever the place, Utah. Take that, Salt Lake City, you burnt. <laughs> oh, man, we just lost the listener, John. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, and so it, so he's like, you got to handle this, but you got to handle it together because you're my best man. And so uh, one of them is a U.S. Marshal and the other one is from the military, right? I don't know. I think Kevin Klein is a U.S. Marshal and uh, uh, Jim West is like a military. I was a little confused by that. It it just seems like Jim West is just on a a vendetta against uh, Bloodbath McGrath, but also can just barge in. It's it's so chill when he just barges in to see uh, the president. He just bursts in. No, he had an appointment. One dude's like, sir, you can't come in here with a gun. And he's like, fuck you, I'm Jim West. Wicked. Wow, wicked, wicked, wild, wild west. Uh, yeah, and so they, um, I guess, what would be the pilot of equivalent of taking the train? <laughs> so they railed the presidential train. Well, uh, is this the first scene with the horse and the motorbike? 
Oh, yeah, I guess they do that first. So there's like a thing where like he has the aforementioned sort of bicycle that Kevin mm. Klein made <laughs> and Jim West has a horse and he's like, oh, cute, adorable little knickknack thing. I'll see you at the train. I'll beat you to the train or something. And then Kevin Klein is like, not if I beat you first, putting on steampunk goggles and kind of <laughs> racing to the train so then we also have a beat of will smith chasing the train because kevin klein did not was not a gracious winner and did not wait for him at the train because once again they hate each other for no reason it's yeah. a, we're kind of going it's a men in black world but we're going for like a 48 hours dynamic yeah i guess they hate each other because they ruined each other's i guess more will smith ruined kevin klein's thing than the other way yeah i just anyway i it's so weird there are tons of movies i like about i i like a lot about uh characters that are partners and don't like each other but grow to like each other but for some reason i just hated both these characters so <laughs> much and i remember seeing this in the theater and thinking you know, obviously, I'd seen a bunch of Will Smith stuff and loved The Fresh Prince. But right. I remember seeing this and being like, well, I like Kevin Klein. But like, I rewatching it now for the first time in 20 years, I hated both of them so much. Um, I didn't really like Selma Hayek's character either. And weirdly, the only one I enjoyed watching was Kenneth Branagh. I mean, he's kind of, I mean, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about yeah. that. I, I, yes. Uh, yes. And so they're, they're hijinks. They end up on a train. <laughs> they, uh, there's a very, one of the only scenes I really remembered was a scene where Kevin Klein is showing off all of his disguises to Will Smith and he shows him like his, the fake breasts that he made for his characters. This a little later. Oh, I guess. I no, that's know. in that scene. Oh, that's right. It's after they realize they have to go to New Orleans. You're right. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, you're skipping the head scene where the hilarious joke is that Will Smith keeps repeating the yeah, line. It's a man's head. That's a man's head over and over. They uh, that is a very Fresh Prince joke. I feel like they've done that joke on Fresh Prince a bunch of times. That scene is brutal. Yeah, but that very much reminded me of a cadence <laughs> of like wood jokes. I feel like there's <sighs> several places here where he he does very much like beats that they would have done on Fresh Prince. I mean, you know, like different eras, obviously, but mm. like a similar sort of like cadence to a joke or like a similar sort of like, you know, like tone. Or it's whatever. just none of it hits. And he's just posing yeah. the whole movie in a way like Will Smith. Uh, a lot can be said that Will Smith is um, the last truly great movie star of of a kind that doesn't exist anymore. Mm. Um, so you'll get no bad mouthing of Will Smith from me. No, I love Will Smith. That being said, <laughs> in this movie, he's just posing and and. Well, he was upset by giving this up, or giving the Matrix to do this. Well, he just I watched a re he released a YouTube video recently because he's all he and all his family. Yeah, do he's YouTube all over YouTube now. now. Um, where he explained why he didn't do the Matrix and did this again, and it's actually like. I mean, it's a stupid YouTube video. I'm like, why am I watching Will Smith do a fucking vlog? What is this? But like the way he describes it, it's like, yeah, that does kind of make sense. The Wachowskis came in and just described it, all this philosophy to him. And he was just like, 
Yeah, okay. I'm going to go do the movie that's exactly like Men in Black. See ya. Yeah. No, I can totally get, like, if you just read about The Matrix, Mm -hmm. being like, no, I want to go on, like... I want to go and do an existing property with, like, a director I already like. Yeah. I mean, I can totally get it from a professional point of view. It's just very funny in retrospect. <laughs> uh, but, yeah. And so, like, there's a scene where, like, Kevin... For oh. those of you that don't know, um, Will Smith was supposed to play Neo in The Matrix or yes. was approached to play Neo and famously turned it down to make this movie instead. Yes. Uh, and so, yeah. So, somehow Kevin Klein has the box... Or it has a box with not Gwyneth Paltrow's head, but <laughs> of a dead confederate. Oh, no, a dead, soul, a dead scientist. The guy from the cold open. Yeah, the guy from the cold open. Somehow his head was retrieved by... That's unclear uh, how they got the head. But, the least of this movie's problems. Yes, but yeah, so they sort of project the last image from... The theory is, is that like... The last image that you see when you die is imprinted in your eye. And so you can project it like you would uh, with a projector, with a slide. And so they do that with the head. Will Smith keeps saying this is a man's head. Uh, And I'm so fine. I love this. Again, I love all the goofy contraptions. I'm not even that big a steampunk guy, but all the weird dumb like kooky quirky shit in this movie the weird fun men in black-esque production design stuff is fine it's just the jokes around them are so bad and this scene is the perfect example where yes kevin klein is shining just a lamp light onto the back of a gross disembodied head and that's showing them the last thing he saw and it's this crazy contraption where they have to spin the head around to get the right look and then hold glasses up to its eyes great very funny but they ruin it by just the the main joke of the scene is that Will Smith just keeps going, that's a man's head. That's a man's head. Right. That's a man's head. Well, it very much seems like the the joke writing was very much predicated on them being like, oh, Will is going to sell it. you know like Will is gonna do it and I mean in his defense yes he kinda does his best but yeah these are not good jokes I do wanna compare compare it to the new Men in Black because I've read a lot of things of people being like you know we I, I I just played into the idea that we don't have movie stars anymore. We don't have any actors that are, have the ability to just, their star power and charisma is so high that they can just sell anything. And that like, as 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 popular as Chris, uh, Chris Hemsworth and Tessa Thompson are, they just don't have the immense charisma that Will Smith has. And I just want to be like, no, no, it's this fucking script. Because watch Wild Wild West. This is Will Smith in his prime, and he cannot sell this because the jokes are that bad. Well, I'd argue he still sold it better. <laughs> <laughs> Fair, but it's, it's I, I, I no, I do agree. He, but I, but I would say as bad as this script is, the script to Ben and Black International is worse. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah I. That's the exact point I'm I'm making. That's but yeah, and so yeah, so. Through projecting this dead man's uh, <laughs> eye sockets, uh, they find out 
through that was kind of weird but i guess it had to serve the plot i didn't really mind but they like can very clearly read the entirety of the invitation (laughs) that's in the pocket of buffalo bill and that was insane uh but yeah anyway they know that they have to go to new orleans for a party and so the next scene this is the scene that I very much remember from a childhood. Like, uh, Kevin Klein shows uh, Will Smith, like, the boobs that he made <laughs> for his uh, drag uh, costumes. And he's like, yeah, like, you ruined my boob costumes. I have to, like, uh, add more buckwheat or something into them or, like, some other grain and he's like, what? Why do you have this grain in your thing? And then he empties out everything from the boob and then fills it with water. And then he's like, oh, touch my touch my boob. This is good. And then all the meanwhile, there is a gay panic joke because mm-hmm. the conductor of the train is listening to them. And it's a misunderstanding. Yeah, and it's M. Emmett Walsh for all you blood simple freaks out there who plays Coleman there. Uh, their conductor. Faithful who, conductor. I assume must have been a character on the TV show. I don't know. I don't know. It's probably not played by Emma Mid Walsh. Yeah, on the TV show, yeah, probably not. <laughs> yes. Uh, I don't think Emma Mid Walsh returned. <laughs> <laughs> and so, into New Orleans we go. And that's where we find Mrs. East. Uh, she's bilang. That's basically her thing. And then, uh, yeah, so Will Smith is like, I'm just going to enter as myself because I'm a badass military guy. No frills, no costumes. Pause. (laughs) The handling of race in this movie is, I feel like eight podcasts could be done just on that. Mm. And we're about to hit the lynching scene. Right. But I don't know if we're the podcast to do it. But I know right. it feels weird because they don't, they definitely don't ignore the fact that what what time period is this set in? So when Ulysses S. Grant was president. So mm-hmm. like. We know our history. So Post-Civil War. Post-Civil, I think it's like late 60s, 1860s, early 1870s. I, there is an art, there is an, a conversation to be had and I, uh, um, you, this is a podcast, so you can't see me, but if you could see me, you could see through my skin. That's how wide I am. <laughs> but, um, so I'm not the one to have this conversation, but I, there is an interesting conversation to be had about whether or not it's more or less offensive to have this movie where it's like, yeah, post-Civil War, uh, uh, post-Civil War, uh, America, where no one was racist except the bad guys. Right, and they were like fun racist they were like Archie Bunker racist well I mean I guess that's that's sort of like a weird tricky thing because like I guess you're still trying to make sort of like a tentpole movie for a 4th of July Mm. so you obviously probably don't want to delve into you know the nuances of race relations in the post in the reconstruction era but yeah then again like they're Race and slavery and all that stuff is very addressed very cavalierly in a bunch of these scenes. Jim West is a runaway slave, as we are later told. And also, uh, when we eventually meet Kenneth Branagh's... uh, Well, you know, we'll get to that that dynamic. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's... 
I, I, it's weird in ways that I'm not the person to discuss. No, I agree. I was like, this, yeah, as I was watching this, I was like, I'm not, yeah, I don't, I don't feel comfortable with this. But then again, I'm not, like, I don't think they're doing anything that's like, overtly racist no yeah they're like, having they are they are not completely erasing race like i remember like there were doctor who like when doctor who would have um oh i forget uh his companion uh from early like in the david Tennant era uh, uh harriet tubman <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, um, yeah, no, he had a, a companion. She was a doctor, but she was a black woman. And they'd go to the past, and I feel like they just pretended it. they just didn't acknowledge it. Yeah, I don't think they do that. I think they acknowledge it when it's comfortable, where it's convenient plot-wise for them to acknowledge it in this movie. But they acknowledge it as a joke. Yeah, they're sort of like... weird. It feels weird for like Jim West himself to be making light of slavery so close he's to a, slavery being abolished. He's a runaway slave. His parents were slaves that were killed as target practice. And yet the movie's filled with like, oh, these wacky racist jokes in like a very, you know, it just feels very straight. And like, so we're going to get to the, let's just get to the yeah. lynching scene as an example of what we're talking about. Right. And so basically, uh, Will Smith uh, is there at the party. We don't really know what Kevin Klein is at that point. He meets a uh, very nuanced character <laughs> by Langs, Miss East. Uh, she tells him that General Loveless, I think, is he a general? I don't know. I don't know what his deal is. Anyway, uh, he, so this is his, like, big coming out party. Uh, they think he's dead. He's supposed to be yeah, dead. Yeah, he is supposed to be dead. And so, uh. Oh, also, did you catch, so earlier, the first time we see him, he's in a carriage, um, with uh, he has three beautiful henchwomen in corsets. Mm -hmm. um, one of them is a Swedish woman <laughs> whose job it is to read people's lips. Did you That's catch true. her name? No, I did not catch her name. That character's name is Miss Lippenreader. Okay. <laughs> that's pretty funny. <laughs> the I, best joke in the movie. Well, that's the kind of example that, like, this feels like a script with multiple writers where they're all writing jokes in different tones and they might match. Because then his his big reveal is, to me, the funniest scene in the movie and the best scene. So Kenneth Branagh plays Loveless, who is a crazed former, uh, uh, he's a Southern secessionist. Um, he was killed in the Civil War. Or so we thought. Or so we thought. But now he's back. But now he's had half of his body. Uh, he's in. A, he's in a motorized wheelchair because he is a crazy Southern. First off, the joke of a Southern secessionist who has now had half half of him ripped off <laughs> is a fairly funny, subtle joke. Yeah. The you don't have legs puns are less subtle and less funny. <laughs> um, uh, the many stump puns uh, <laughs> are a little tough. But the way he is fully introduced, the way he comes out is that they wheel in a giant, a giant, uh, like paper mache yeah. Abe Lincoln's head, which explodes and he bursts out of it. And it is without a doubt, it is the perfect way to introduce a crazy Civil War Southern vet 
mad scientist. Right. And it is legitimately very funny in a very darkly comic way. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, I can see how there was a version of this script that was very fun. Yeah. Or like if you worked with the same writer who came up mm-hmm. with that to sort of work on the tone of the other stuff that you wanted to like punch up, that would be more coherent for sure. And also just like the character design of Kenneth Branagh's <laughs> Loveless is really good. It just it is literally just a torso in a wheelchair, but it looks kind of weird and cool. I, I enjoyed it. Uh, anyway, and so, so basically, then uh, Will Smith thinks that one of the women at the ball is Kevin Klein because she looks exactly like the character that he, uh, I guess, took on in the mm. saloon scene. So he kind of updates him about all that stuff. Uh, that he found out and uh, turns out, oh, and he ends up complimenting him on his boobs previously uh, referenced earlier. Uh, and he does like a little drum thing <laughs> on the boobs. And what do you know? Turns out this was not Kevin Klein. This was actually a cis woman. And Kevin Klein is actually someone else at that uh, ball and he actually stokes the mob to lynch Jim West as a hilarious diversion. Right, and so uh, before we go to the lynch thing, uh, <laughs> Kevin Klein uses that diversion. He, I think, he wants to like steal some information, but what, what he really ends up doing is freeing Salma Hayek, who I guess is what is hired. going on. Yeah, I've not Salma in- Hayek's character at this point. So. I think she explains that she's she's been hired to I don't know like she says I'm a performer but it seems like they expect her to be some more of a sex worker deal. We see and they wh- put her in a cage. Was that Kenneth Branagh's bedroom? Cuz yeah. it's like some 50 shades of gray shit with all these chains everywhere and yeah. Selma Hayek. I thought that was funny. I mean, it was funny, but it's like it's it, <laughs> it's it's not presented as a joke. It's just he walks into this room at the same way. It's not presented as a big introduction when we first meet Kevin Klein as a dress. It's weirdly just presented as like, oh, that's our main character. Anyway, moving on. Like it's just like, oh yeah, this room has a bunch of weird kinky sex stuff. Anyway, moving on. Yeah, so I don't know whether it's like kinky sex stuff or if like it's just like the way he that he sleeps? like sleeps. Yeah. yeah. I wonder if there was a deleted scene. Maybe. Ooh, I have a DVD. I can actually mm. update you on that. You've owned this on cassette and DVD? I've owned the soundtrack on cassette. And oh I owned the movie God. on DVD. <laughs> I really liked Will Smith. Uh, anyway, so yeah, he's basically what he ends up accomplishing is freeing Salma Hayek. Back to the lynching. So, uh, yeah, so, uh, Jim West is about to be lynched. And as you know, every person about to be lynched is given a tight five that they can do. (laughs) And so, uh, and so. This scene is so rough. (laughs) It's very rough. That's probably the roughest scene in the movie. Uh, and so he's like, hey guys, can I do a riff about why I guess I don't deserve, I didn't really offend this woman 
And he's, like, going through the whole thing of, like, you know, when I said redneck, I didn't really mean a bad thing because red is a great color and neck, well. Imagine if you took, like, the attempted lynching scene from uh, from um, Blazing Saddles. I was going to say 12 Years a Slave. This is oh, God, totally no, no, different. No. Uh, from, like, Blazing Saddles. A scene where it's, like, very edgy and it's very dark humor, but it's throughout, and that's the point of the movie, and it's funny. But imagine if you took that one scene out and just for the fun of it, threw it into, like, American Pie 2. <laughs> it feels so insane and so unpleasant. Right. Yeah, he basically just kind of does a stand-up routine about what is the deal with all the lynching? <laughs> and uh, my guess- my favorite part was when he tries to appeal to them by talking about, I get it. No, having slaves must have been great. Uh, <laughs> who, and who wouldn't want slaves? And it's like, whoa, like, did it? what it feels like is like some older writers watched Chris Rock stand up from the time and were like, yeah, we could do this. Yeah, yeah, we we got this. We know what he's after. This is, it's all about the worst. (laughs) It's, yeah. Yeah, so. But don't worry. If you thought that Artemis Gordon, Kevin Klein's character, would have actually let his his partner get lynched. No, because the the noose he gave them was a bungee cord. Oh, dong. Uh, yeah, and so they rescue Will Smith. He apparently like pretends to want to marry this woman at one point, like during his lynching thing, and that's where people really get upset. Yeah. Oh God. Let's, that was actually one of the the in this in a scene of misery. That was one of the funniest, just quick quick cuts because it wasn't as much like a bad belabored joke. Where he's just like, "Ma'am, I wasn't saying you're ugly. In fact, I want to marry you." And the woman goes, <gasps> and he goes, "Okay, gasping. That means it's a no. Okay, moving on." <laughs> that was just a funny quick cut and reaction from Will Smith. But yeah, the whole scene's awful. Uh, yes, and so we run away from the scene, <laughs> much like Jim West and. Uh, what's his name? George Artemis? Artemis Gordon. Artemis Gordon. A.G. And Rita, the Selma Hayek character. Yes. So A.G., uh, yes. So then they run away. Selma Hayek tells them that she is actually there because her dad is one of the scientists that was uh, kidnapped by Loveless. And so we say they've been kidnapping scientists. (laughs) That's what the case is all about. All the greatest scientists in the world have been kidnapped. It's basically Watchmen. Yeah, it's basically it's the Watchmen that we deserve. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. And so uh, they uh, they're like, okay, woman, you can stay here while we keep on figuring out this case. And they abandon her, but she very and go back on the train. But she very quickly finds her way. How did she get way. back on? So it's the similar bit to before, because like the the train is all Jimmy rigged with yeah. all the. She Kevin flies Klein. in. I must look down. How did she get to the train to fly? So in? yeah, so we don't see her doing that. Oh, but she I just think, suddenly pops in. I think the reading is that she does a similar thing to what Will Smith does, because he also like flies in. She just the train rode earlier. up, and I yeah, gotcha. so she probably did the similar thing. Which is fine. Yeah, uh, and, and she flies in while Kevin Klein is talking about how sexy she was. Yeah, uh, And he doesn't realize she's back in there. Because both he and Will Smith kind of got the hots for her. Because she's the only woman. <laughs> <laughs> um, Woman from the water tower. That's true. Woman from... 
Yeah, I guess um, there are. A woman with the bongo boobs. Oh, a woman from Asia. Uh, um, three <laughs> sexy henchwomen. Yeah, there's so many meaty roles for women in. And by wicka, meaty, wicka, wow, we mean wow, uh, we, most of the punchlines involve close-ups of their buttocks or uh, cleavage. Of course. Uh, and we get one of the big ones coming up. Yes. And so they kind of discuss their plan. She actually contributes a thing about how she heard mm. his hench ladies talking about, like, what is Utah? How would we get to Utah? And they realize, oh, no, he's going to the same place where the president is going. Uh, so now they know where they're headed. Uh, they Oh, they... Oh, also we forgot to mention that Loveless basically blows up the entire Bloodbath McGrath platoon. I don't... Have we already gotten to the tank scene? So I think that happens before because they end up chasing the tank on that train that they go up. So I think we did miss it. So basically what happens that like Loveless like shows off, like he promises to deliver these weapons to uh, Bloodbath McGrath people, but instead... He kills all of them with his, uh, like, steampunk tank. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, uh, yeah. And so he then gets on the rails. And then they see the destruction and they decide to chase him. And so, anyway, so now they also know where he's going. He's going to Utah. Right. Because this happened right after the party. Jim West rode off on the horse and found the the bloodbath of Bloodbath's crew. Right. And that's when they get on the train with some Hayek right, and right, right. give her pajamas. Yes. And so, yeah, the most important thing is that Salma Hayek has nothing to wear. <laughs> she only has a, a fancy corset. Uh, because she was supposed to sleep with the guy. Mm-hmm. Anyway, and so they give her in a very like this is the least subtle insertion of a joke ever because it's literally like Will Smith talking over Kevin Klein is like, if you need a thing to wear, I have a thing to wear. And then you're like, okay, why are you saying this? This is not like the conversation. And then you realize, oh, it's only to set up the fact that he's giving her pajamas with like a butt flap. Well, I the joke is the joke is poorly delivered. The idea is supposed to be is that Will Smith is it, so from what it's happening. Because then right after we see her butt, uh, Will Smith says, "I told you she'd be a distraction." What the joke is supposed to be is that. Kevin Klein has the hots for her. Will Smith wants to get rid of her because he thinks she's a distraction. So Kevin Klein's trying to give her something like something sexy to wear. And Will Smith tries to give her the least sexy thing there, which is this just big like men's pajamas. However, like men's onesie pajamas at the time had a butt flap. And the joke is supposed to be that they're like, okay, good, she's in this unsexy pajamas. But then she turns around. I get the joke. I just think that the way that they even set up the fact that she needs something to wear is so insanely clumsy. But the crazy thing is, if you watch it, we see her butt twice, thus destroying the punchline. Right. I mean, yeah, it's not it's as if someone came in the editing room. and was like, wait, why do we only see her butt once? Yeah, we oh, paid her for, for the butt. We better the use joke. this. Yeah, but show the butt twice. So yeah. it's like before. 
Because the one time we get the literal pan down to reveal that her butt is visible. Yeah. And that's supposed to be the punchline. We've dressed her in something unsexy, but oh no, she forgot to button the flap so her butt's vi visible. But we've already seen her butt once, so the pan down doesn't feel like a punch down. Punchline, it just feels like a gratuitous, like the camera guy is jerking off and yeah. pans down to show her butt. It's, it's such a poorly delivered joke it's terrible yeah i felt very icky about it i gotta say i felt bad for selma hayek especially for what we learned about me too with but her. she had something fun to talk about to letterman oh i'm sure yeah or conan i don't know tbd uh, look it up so anyway they are chasing loveless they think they got him in their sights but oh no he disappears and what it is is that his tank train has stilts <laughs> and he somehow elevated them to the point where they cannot see that above. Like that was also unclear. Like he had well, still so like he's hiding behind the tunnel, so it seems like he's, he's just another hiding part of the above the tunnel. Like if they're after him, if even if he goes up with the stilts, you can still look up and be like, Oh, there's a thing above the tunnel. Well they come right out, out of the tunnel and go right under him and they don't look back. So they don't I see thought it. it was at the entrance to the tunnel. No, that he's at the end of the tunnel. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Withdrawn. This part is flawless. Withdrawn. Uh, okay. And so, yeah. So now he's behind them. He uh, he fires uh, a rope of some kind mm -hmm. that prevents the train from moving. He takes over the train, takes everyone prisoner. He uh, takes uh, Salma Hayek for his harem. And he keeps uh, uh, Kevin Klein and uh, Will Smith. In those aforementioned dog collar magnety things, uh, in a very confined area. Can we pause for a second? Sure. I, I want to return to Selma Hayek's character, not not her her body. <laughs> um, so we find out at the end. Spoilers. Mm -hmm. She is pretty much playing, uh, and it's kind of hinted at this throughout that she is kind of playing um, Artemis and Jim the whole movie, mm -hmm. and she is actually not looking for her father. She's looking for her husband, and she's only flirting with them to get them to carry to bring her forward so she could find her her husband. Right. Um. So we can kind of see, like, perhaps the Utah scene is not her being a dummy and not realizing, but trying to give them hints in a way that leads them leads them along while still cut, keeping her cover. That's a very generous reading, but OK. I I assumed that even I had a vague memory that there was some like, it's not even really a twist, but some kind of twist with with her character. And so I read that that way. So the scene where she picks where she acts like she's all scared in the train and it's just so that she can accidentally use the the billiards ball that has sleeping gas in it so that they can get knocked out so kenneth brennan can get her get them all what the fuck is happening in that scene yeah i don't know i i mean i guess she could have i assume she was just legitimately scared well, it's, the end of the movie seems to imply that she is much smarter than she's been seeming and that the whole movie she's only been acting dumb so mm. that they would bring her along. And that's why, like, there's, like, the first time we get a hint of it is um, when they leave her behind at the train station and she's waving to Kevin Klein and she very clearly lets one half of her jacket drop just mm -hmm. so she can flirt with him to get him to bring her along. 
Um, right. So she's clearly playing them. But in this, it almost seems like they were playing her as, writing her as fake dumb the whole way. And then this scene, they had to get them all knocked out so that like the one of the six writers forgot that she's actually fake dumb. It was just like, oh, the idiot character fucks up. Right. She grabs a billiards ball for no reason. Like, presumably as a weapon, but they're surrounded by real weapons. So she grabs a billiards ball and then presses on it, which releases sleeping gas. It's just like they couldn't come up with any other way to get them all knocked out. Yeah, it, it is it, so such a weird scene. It almost felt like okay, so we set up the the billiard ball with the gas earlier, so we got to use it at some point. So we might as well use it now. But yeah, I I mean I don't have an answer for you. I think it is weird. Yeah, why would she grab it? It's I don't know. I, yeah, it felt I I felt like I missed something. Like I looked down and missed something because she was suddenly grabbing the billiards ball, and I'm like, why? Yeah, but also, I don't know, did she actually know that that's what it does? Because I feel like No, they... I, th- I thought that conversation was before they had Yeah, that. so, yeah, I don't know. I don't think it makes sense. But why sense. would she grab that as a weapon and hide in the bathroom? It, it, like, she in this one scene, she comes across as such a moron and like a like a coward because she's suddenly going she's suddenly going oh no i can't let him get me again but as we find out later in the movie she's purposefully following kenneth branagh to get to her husband so Mm -hmm. her so we can only assume that she's only pretending to be that afraid of him right she wants to like she almost wants to be captured maybe she took the ball because she thought it was would be a futile a weapon and then it ended up being a bad weapon my best read like the most lenient reading of it the most uh, uh the nicest reading i can give is that she is she really doesn't give a shit about artemis and jim and she's like you guys fucking fight i'm gonna hide to save myself i just have to get my husband mm. but yeah it's it feels so strange in the moment right I, yeah. I don't know why this is the scene that like stopped me up the most, <laughs> but it really, I was just like, what the, this and the lynching were the two scenes where I was like, what were they going for? Yeah, I don't, yeah, it seems like sometimes bad movies like that or like badly plotted movies like that where there is a character reveal at the end <laughs> would like have things where you like would go back and you would be like, why is this, this, what? Yeah, this makes perfect sense if the character is dumb, but it doesn't make sense with the stuff that you know is going to happen in What's the future. What's a recent example we can think of like that? Hmm. Mm. Could it be Men in Black International? <laughs> Fuck that movie. <laughs> Uh, and so, uh, anyway, uh, hijinks ensue. Uh, Jim West, again, does not listen to Kevin Klein, And they activate those uh, flying saucer knife things. And they're being chased mm-hmm. by them. They somehow avoid them by jumping into uh, a poop-looking mud river. Yeah. And having the, the saucers crash into one another. Because it's one for each. And... Uh, they ended up anyway long story short they bicker their way out of it and they go and find loveless and this is the big reveal of the movie we finally see a giant fucking mechanical spider (laughs) (laughs) the the pinnacle of uh, john peter's imagination john peter's the producer yeah john peter's famously when he had Kev- uh, Kevin Smith 
make a Superman reboot uh, called Superman Reborn, wanted him to have a giant fucking spider in the third act because he thought spiders were the most uh, vicious killers in the animal <laughs> kingdom, I believe were his words. And uh, it, he did not, it did not make it to Superman Lives, but it did end up in his next movie that he produced, Wild Wild West. And that's what we we're witnessing. And um, uh, uh, apparently, I, I didn't know this till I was reading the Wikipedia today, when they were trying to make a film adaptation of The Sandman, the Neil Gaiman comics that never happened, uh, after uh, years after Kevin Smith's interview, Neil Gaiman said that, uh, so John Peters was trying to produce that and also tried to add a <laughs> giant spider into that as well. Hey, they're the fiercest killers in the animal kingdom. But it does work in this one. Yeah. I gotta say, it makes say, sense like, in this one because it's crazy steampunk shit. Yeah, I again, all the steampunk shit worked for me. Although and I, I liked it. I wonder if like his request was a real spider, and they're like, could it be a robot spider? It'll be a steampunk spider. We'll show a real spider earlier. Is that okay? Yeah, and pointedly not have them be afraid of it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so we finally see Kenneth Branagh plus his coterie of European ladies. Um, aboard a spider and they're making their way towards where the president grant is and they want his unconditional surrender while uh they think they're requesting it from uh president grant it's actually again artemis what's his face well, no, no. They are actually requesting him from Grant, but then Artemis Artemis Gordon comes out, dresses oh, right. Grant, sorry, sorry, and sorry. tries to pretend that he's the real Grant. And right, then right. In, there are a few fairly funny, like, subversions of moments like this where they try to do a clever trick on the villain, and the villain's just like, all right, fuck it. And so in this case, he's just <laughs> like, all right, take them both. I don't care. Yeah. And later, because uh, uh, Kevin Klein's Artemis Gordon has invented um, bulletproof armor, a bulletproof vest, he says, please shoot me in the chest for my heart where I love America so much. And Kenneth Brown is like, shoot him in the face. <laughs> and those those were two fairly funny moments. I gotta say, like, most of the Kenneth Branagh stuff was he's a, pretty good. He's a good villain. He's fine, yeah. except for a major problem I have with it that doesn't have to do with his performance, but has to do with some... Let's finish the movie and I'll get to this. Yes. So basically, this is when he takes everyone hostage and this is when we learn the plan. Uh, backdropped with a Confederate flag with a giant spider in the center of it. Uh, it but is it's not really a Confederate flag. It looks much more like a spider swastika. That's and true. suddenly Kenneth Branagh is wearing a cross, an iron cross, and is dressed like a like Hitler and wearing all black and everyone's I wearing mean, all black. Yeah, it's all black, but I mean, it's still definitely also Confederate. He's doing the way I, I want to talk. I want to get to this after, after the after. Yeah. So, yeah. So his plan is basically we're going to be like the divided states of America. I think that's what he says. But like the whole idea is that like. These people are going to be one country and these states are going to be another country. And that's his whole thing. Um, I, I kind of dozed off during that point. He is selling back the original. Th he's dissolving America. He's selling back the original 13 colonies to the British. He's selling um, Texas and New Mexico to Mexico. 
and he is selling something to the French, I guess Louisiana to the French, and then the rest will be all for him. And it'll be called Loveless Land or something. Whatever. It's it's dumb. It's fine. It's whatever. uh, Yeah. So I guess the important thing is that, like, I guess is it important anyway? Mm-hmm. Jim uh, West dresses up as a, like an exotic dancer. <laughs> I think that's the next thing, right? And he like attempts to. <laughs> Whoa! Wait, Will Smith is wearing a dress. I know you thought it would only oh, be Kevin pause Klein. Pause the podcast. I'm laughing too hard. John, John, get up from the floor. <laughs> uh, yeah. So this scene goes on for a while. Yeah. So he does that. I've, I mean, to be honest, I forget how they end up being back on the spider. He dances for a while. He gives the key to, uh, he gives the key to Kevin Klein. They escape. They um, throw. They blow up. Oh, they throw. He has the eight ball, which isn't sleeping gas. It turns out uh, from the billiards uh, table where all the balls are actually bombs. But this one's not sleeping pass. It's a bomb. So that blows up all the foreign, uh, like the British guy and stuff. Mm-hmm. And then uh, leaving just um, Kenneth Branagh, the henchwomen. Rita escapes with the scientists and the president. And so then it's just a fight between Will Smith, Artemis, the henchwomen a bunch of robot guys. And this is the part where I fell asleep three times and had to keep rewinding. It's real stupid. Nothing happens. But they're basically on board the spider. The spider is trying to get away. They're trying to get to Kenneth Branagh, but uh, they have to go through all of his henchmen. And so Will Smith kind of fights like uh, guys of different level of steampunkiness in their body. Mm -hmm. There's like a guy who's like, who has like uh, hands that are like knives. And then there's a guy who has a skull that's made out of metal or like stuff like that. And kind of dispatches. And then a guy uh, with a metal dick. Oh, yeah, it sounds like I'm joking, but that is a punchline. And actually, now that we describe it, it sounds funny, but I really, like, I was falling asleep. That was apparently a rewrite, like, in the test screenings. People were like, there's not enough action in this, so they added all the henchmen because oh. they were like, it feels weird that they only fight his women because he only has women. And so they added all these guys. That makes so much sense because, like, yeah, it feels like a funny beat, but, like, all these henchmen come out of nowhere. And so you just don't give a shit that he's fighting them. It's just very strange. Yeah, so it's all wrote in order for them to actually get to Mm. Kenneth Kenneth Branagh. And, uh, yeah, and then they sort of... what ends up happening? Oh, the the spider kind of, like, lurches over, like, a cliff. Uh, Jim West clings on to Kenneth Branagh. Oh, we find out that Kenneth Branagh's wheelchair has legs. <laughs> it's also a tiny spider. <laughs> and uh, and then... Uh, and then uh, Kevin Klein finally, like, uh, he revealed earlier a pistol that is part of his belt that uh, Jim West made fun of. And he can finally, like, use it to shoot Kenneth Branagh. But instead he misses, or so we think. But he actually, like, shoots uh, sort of one of the legs of the spider that actually have oil in them. So, like, the whole thing, like, deflates. And so then the, the big spider lurches dangerously over an abyss. Uh, the wheelchair of Kenneth Branagh kind of, like, leaps <laughs> over the abyss. And Jim West is hanging on to him. And then... 
he somehow uh, manages to drop uh, Kenneth Branagh, but still like stay on the spider. And he that's the end of our villain. He grabs onto one of the henchmen, and that saves him. I guess. I yeah. forget. And also, so the whole anytime Will Smith and uh, Kenneth Branagh talk, uh, Will Kenneth Branagh makes jokes about Will Smith being black because he's a racist, and Will Smith makes jokes about Kenneth Branagh not having uh, legs. Um, oh, yeah. And these are really weird. All these all these scenes are really weird because it's like, yeah, I guess yeah, the the racist southerner would make jokes about about Will Smith being black, but like <laughs> the jokes about him being like handicapped are like really weird. Yeah, and none of them are funny. <laughs> yeah, uh, but yeah, so that's the end of Kenneth Branagh, and so yeah, we find out that. Uh, they're both trying to convince Alma Hayek to stay with them, but she tells them that she actually manipulated them to be closer to her husband. And so instead, they take the mechanical spider off into the sunset. <laughs> End of movie. Wicked wah, wicked wicked wah wah west. All right, great. Huzzah, <laughs> hooray, huzzah. Um, oh boy. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Uh, you want to do the? Let's do a grade right now. You ready? Right. Let me think. Um, da, 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 da. Yeah. Okay. I think All I got right. it. Three, Three two, two, one. C minus. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, so before we get into it in general, the thing I was mentioning about um, uh, about the switch to him being seeming more Nazi esque. There's this weird thing in movies where they use where they're fantastical movies but they use historical villains where sometimes they want to separate their villains from the real history villains, but then also make it so that their villains are more evil. Mm -hmm. So like Captain America, the first Avenger is a great example where they're like, yeah, Nazis were bad, but Hydra were the real villains. Yes. And it's like, yeah, okay. I guess you, I kind of get why you don't want to have a bunch of just Nazis, but I don't know. Well, I don't really know why you need Hydra to be a separate entity than the Nazis. I like, I just don't know why we need to do that. Why can't Hydra just be part of the Nazis? I guess maybe that was part of their long movie no, plan. No, because uh, Nazis is DC. So they can't have... <laughs> they don't have the rights to Nazis? Yeah, no. yeah, yeah. Um, Nazis, a famous Aquaman villain. Um, but no, it's, so it's a weird... But like by doing that, it makes this weird thing of like, you have to downplay the villainy of Nazis to make your villains seem worse, right. which seems weird. And some people have criticized Captain America, the uh, movie for that. And I, I love the Captain America movie. It's one of my favorite MCU movies by far. But like, but that is weird, and I I didn't have that much of a problem with it because the rest of the movie is working so well. It just seems like a weird issue. This is a movie that's not working well. So the moments where they seem to be like, yeah, the South and the Civil War sucked, but you know who's even worse? <laughs> These guys. Those parts felt weirder to me. Um, so like the weird, almost reclamation of. Ted Levine's character 
Right, at the end. Where yeah. he seems almost noble before he dies, and his southern secessionist soldiers seem noble and are just the poor victims of Kenneth Brenna's really extremist southerner who's not even about the Confederate army. He's about his own deal. Like, that feels weird. And mm-hmm. then to have him... To have him then suddenly start changing his dress to his outfit so that he no longer sees like he's not a Confederate soldier. He has his own flag where it's his own thing. And it's clearly adding in Nazi influence, despite that we're decades and decades away. He's ahead of his time. Yeah, it feels weird, like especially when we live in a country, I mean. And obviously in the last few years, people have tried and many years before that, I've tried to downplay the villainy of Nazis uh, go on the Internet, go to a website called Twitter. Or and you can also find similarly, the villainy of the South. Well, that's what I was saying is that, like, obviously that is is an issue currently, but certainly it was it's been an issue since the 60s of people trying to downplay the villainy of the South, you know, going to like fairly benign issues of uh, the the daughters of the revolution, stuff like that. And, you know, Southern heritage bullshit. Um, So, like, I don't know. It just kind of rubbed me the wrong way. These moments of, like, you have a hero who is a freed slave or a runaway slave. Why can't he just be a Confederate soldier who doesn't want to admit that the South lost? Why does he have to be his own thing that's even worse than the Confederacy? Because, really, the Confederacy wasn't that bad. They didn't have robot spiders. Right. Well, I guess there are probably like two answers to this. One mm. of them is like a very like cynical movie marketing thing. I'm like, worried it's that. Yeah, like you don't want to alienate like a quadrant or whatever. But also, I, I mean, yeah, I guess it's probably just like it would make for a more like nuanced movie where you had to like grapple with like the sins of it- America where like you don't want to do that. So you want to make up like a boogeyman that's sort of similar to a thing that we know, but it's not quite that. It's like amalgamation of like several things and we can destroy it and we can pretend that we solve the problems that it represents while actually not doing anything, you know? It's, it's, it has to do with like the tonal problems of the movie throughout. And so they have this property that takes place at a very certain time in um, American history. And they decide they want to remake it and they want to use the biggest movie star in the world. Okay, great. However, the biggest movie star in the world is a black man. And by putting him in that time period and with the age that the actor is, that means this this character lived through slavery. So I guess this is my ignorance. I don't know much about the show. Was the original Jim West not black? No. Oh, really? Oh, no, no, absolutely not. Oh, wow. I did not know that. So they make that change, but they want to make a goofy comedy. So they don't want to really, but they don't, they want to make a goofy comedy, but they don't want to make a comedy about racism. They're not making Blazing Saddles, but they have a character who is literally a runaway slave. So they do this weird thing where they address it, but treat it with none of the gravitas that those issues would have. And it just all feels very weird. It, it feels like 
it feels like if you like to okay to to go maybe to go to an example that maybe you or I might be more comfortable talking about if you were to do set a goofy comedy in 1950s Poland (laughs) and you have your main character be the fucking sickest baddest duo dude around who just so happens to be a guy who escaped Auschwitz yeah um and he's just the fucking hottest Jew in town and everyone's like and yeah maybe there are some anti-semites in uh 1950s Europe but they're still like at the end of the day you're one hot badass Jew and it feels like like and then you have not it just feels there's something throughout that's rubbing me the wrong way and if the movie worked i think we could get around these issues maybe mm. if they had pushed it into an even more fantastical realm and almost forgotten that the civil war happened and just not addressed it but they can't do that because they made the active choice that the villain is and most of the villains were from the south and were in the in the confederate army and then they made the choice that their hero is a runaway slave but they just really don't they want to so they're playing lip service to it but just trying to i just don't like it yeah it is a weird thing i think they were trying what they were trying to do like i think in sort of like the scenes where will smith's making light of Mm -hmm. slavery in a weird way of just sort of being like, hey, look, the character in the movie is okay with it, so this is fine. You know, I think this is what how they tried addressing it. I agree with you. There's a big ick factor about this. Yeah. And yeah, it's it's very hard to ignore. But they still yeah. try to have a heartfelt scene where he's talking about his parents who right. were slaves who were killed. However, they talk about it in the same way you talk about, like in a, in a regular buddy comedy movie, buddy like cop movie, you talk about, oh yeah, my parents, they died when I was young. They were killed by criminals and that's why I became a cop. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just, like it's just a random thing and not like, Oh yeah, they were slaves who were shot dead. Yeah, and I and I was I ran but away. Also in the s- I was separated from them because of you know slavery. Yeah, but also like I think it's the same scene where Kevin Klein still calls him the N word. So it's which he does Wait, at the fire scene. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he calls him the N word in one of their like heartfelt conversations. Maybe that's not one of Are them. You saying the N E word? I, I guess. The one that rhymes with Heathrow. Yeah, which is still the <laughs> and N-word. And not the one that rhymes with Tigger. I guess, but I, aren't they all the N-word? Right, right, you're right. But yes, that would... Because that's another thing. It's I like, guess, yes. like, he calls him, I guess, what would be, I guess, the non-violent way of calling someone from that time. But still, it's hard to have like a heart to heart between two people of different races where that is still the dynamic. Well, you could have a heart to heart, but they're just not taking it seriously. I guess. Because the movie has the racial dynamics of the 1990s, but still has the costumes and the the backstory and the of language. This there is one scene, the very beginning scene with the water tower. The character is about to call him a one of those words, and Jim West punches him before he does. Right. No, I think, but that, yeah, I feel like that's played more of like an empowering thing, Mm -hmm. but it feels like when Kevin Klein... Which they tried to do a few times. Yes, but I feel like when Kevin Klein uses it, 
it is it's still like it is said in sort of like a more like I'm trying to relate to you tone so it's it comes from like a more like kindly place mm-hmm. but it's I don't know it it is hard to stomach given like you said that they are still trying to have some of the 90s dynamics in there but also like some of like the you know the 1800s dynamics in there you know what I, you know what I think I think this movie um this movie what makes this movie feel so 90s is it, uh, of its racial dynamic is that um as as a, a a white person brought up in like raised in the 90s in America as a white person like you really did get the feeling from the popular culture and just the society at large that was like oh yeah racism that thing that's done yeah, except for in, except for in some bad places in the south and that was really the comforting lie that we as white americans told ourselves particularly mm-hmm. you know white liberal americans would tell ourselves and this movie is so much in that world where like Ulysses S. Grant and Artemis Gordon clearly, uh, to quote Joe Biden, don't have a racist bone in their body because oh, sure. they were born above the Mason-Dixon line. And sure, this takes place just a few scant years over the Civil War, but they're like, it's just like after the Civil War happened, there was like no racism. And then there was a little bit in the 50s and 60s, but then then but those Dr. Were King bad wrapped apples. that up too. Yeah. There was a bad apples, Dr. King settled it, we're good. Everything's fine. Right. And this movie really feels feels of that era and i think um in in the past few years particularly uh white america has had to has really been uh violently disillusioned of or um been forced to reckon with the fact that things are not have not been solved. Yeah, reckon with that. That is a huge lie that we told ourselves to sleep at night. Right. Um, and this movie is a movie made before, while that comforting bubble hadn't been popped yet. Yeah, that's a very good point. I like that point. That I mean, that's a sad Donka. point. But yeah, Donka. Thank you, Mr. <laughs> Lip Reader. Uh, <laughs> Mrs. Lippin Reader. Uh, is there anything else you would like to say about? I loved it. It's a great movie. It's a great movie. I gotta say, visually, it's great, and I feel like, I mean, I guess like attempts at comedy aside, mm-hmm. I feel like it kind of coheres as a movie. Yeah. Like we know what what everyone's goals are. We know like what those characters want. I feel like yeah. I wish the dialogue were different. <laughs> I wish the jokes were better, but. I mean, it's not that bad. It doesn't really rise to the awfulness of truly terrible or even like truly boring Men in Black International style movies. But I think it's very similar in that while that movie is worse than this, definitely worse, but they are very similar in that they are movies that don't seem to have a creative spark. They only exist because other movies were successful and... While the production is on a production level, they are pretty great. I think the special effects for its time in this movie are a thousand times better than the special effects in Men in Black International. <laughs> They're still like Men in Black International special effects were competent, and the production design was competent, just boring. The major problem is that like none of the jokes hit. It's just yeah. the jokes are just bad it's just not funny so we just go through the motions of this action comedy 
and it just doesn't work. Yeah, I think for some reason why I think this worked better is that like it didn't feel as bloated. Mm. It felt like more of like a coherent one storyline that we could like get behind. Yeah. With like Men in Black the International, I was like, why are we, what are we watching? Like, what is the purpose of any of this? It's also, I, I hated Jim West and Artemis Gordon. They're just such assholes the entire movie. But they are also... While they're not great characters, they are so much better defined than agents. H&M from Men in Black International. You know, Chris Hemsworth's character of the guy who's bad now, but also not that bad. And the rookie, who's also not really a rookie. And who cares? Right. Yeah, exactly. At least like here, they're just like, what is your thing? Okay, it's that. You keep doing that thing. Yeah, cocky asshole and eccentric scientist asshole are not super fun characters, no matter how likable the actors playing them are. But they're still well-defined characters. Yeah. So looking back at that weekend, the weekend of the 4th of July, uh, 1999, uh, Wawa West was number one. (laughs) Big Daddy in its second week was number two. Yeah, dude. Tarzan in its third week was number three. All three movies with great songs that we could sing right now. We could sing Garbage When I Grow Up from Big Daddy. Or the Sheryl Crow cover of Sweet Child of Mine. (laughs) Or, of course, we can sing uh, Phil Collins' You'll Be In My Put your head to what you most believe in. Two worlds, one family. (laughs) Trust your heart. Let them decide. That's the song, right? Yeah, I, I, I only remember the chorus. I'm I'm genuinely impressed by that. Uh, anyway, so that was uh, number four, South Park, Bigger, Longer, and Uncut in its first week. They it said, never made it to number one. So the so we're ne- I watched that this week, and we could have been talking about that on this podcast, but fucking America in 1999 were too stupid. So here's the thing, though. <sighs> the urban legend is that oh, the right. reason Wild Wild West was number one is because it was PG-13 so that a lot of kids bought tickets to Wild Wild West but actually ended up seeing South Park so technically delete this episode (laughs) delete this episode let's just record another episode about South Park right now guys South Park Bigger Logger Uncut still holds up so well there are a few dated jokes definitely but for the most part, it is still one of the greatest movie musicals of the past few decades. I know all the lyrics and I love them oh, all. It's it's so great. And it's so many of the jokes are still so funny. Uh, the general's daughter, I believe this is a uh, John Travolta vehicle. Maybe she goes b- missing. Is she murdered or something? Was Samuel L. Jackson in that as well? Uh, okay. Was Fox- that like a... Pulp Fiction. Uh, Box Office reunion. Mojo gives no. I'll synopsis. look it up. You can keep uh, doing okay, that. Okay, John Travolta salutes on the poster. That's all I can tell you. Yeah. And uh, previous champ, Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. Still hanging on. Still hanging on. Anyway, considering all of this goodness, uh, why do you think, other than the fact that kids wanted to see an R-rated movie but couldn't, was uh, Wild Wild West number one? I was wrong. No Samuel L. Jackson. Um, I think you're thinking about Basic. Is that what you're thinking of? Which is a movie I enjoyed, but no one else seemed to. Um, I'm looking that up now. Uh, But no, yeah. Why was it number one? Uh, Two words. Will Smith. (laughs) The end. Waka wah! Waka waka wah wah west! Uh, Yeah, I would have to agree with you. Mm. I I am thinking of Basic. 
that movie was so hyped. I remember it being everywhere. Wild so, Wild West? Yeah. Yeah. I went to see it in the theaters. I was fucking jazzed. Yeah. Everyone loved it. I mean, not no. loved it. Everyone was like talking about it. No, I remember it was, like, instantly big. everyone was like, that was bad. Yeah. I, I don't think it ever got any love. I, I think at the time I was still kind of like, I, I was still a pretty easy lay for movies. So I think I was more in the thing of like, if I saw a movie I was really excited to see, it would it was hard for me to admit I didn't enjoy it. Yeah, I remember I don't I don't know if I ever actually saw it in theaters, but Did I they, remember when they saw it on a home video, I was like, Oh, this is not bad. We talked about this, this last time, like the first movie. Did we talk about this in a previous episode? Like the first time you saw a movie and realized it was bad? Yes. Yeah, we yeah. did that. Oh, so mine was 97. That was Batman and Robin. So yeah, I, I, think, I was already willing to admit movies I think, could Yeah, be mine bad. was... Could uh, be bad. I think mine was Mortal Kombat Annihilation. I believe that was the yeah. thing I said. And that is true. That movie sucks. Dear listener, please <laughs> do not listen. Oh, or watch it. We will never do an episode about it because it did not do well. Anyway, looking forward into the next week, mm-hmm. uh, here are some of our uh, contenders for... Um, I guess box office winner, uh, Crawl, the Alexander yeah. Aja, Sam Raimi, Piranha movie. Alexander Aja has directed, so he made High Tension. What else did he make? Did oh, he the, make, Hills like, the Hills remake. of Eyes yeah. remake. I, I almost walked out of that. I really hated that movie. I've never seen it. I remember it had good a, a good trailer. Um, yeah, I, I didn't like it. I, uh. I had no interest in it. Um, uh, high tension. I, I remember thinking it was fine. And then the twist I thought was so stupid that it made me angry. Oh, you, have you ever seen it? No. No. The twist is really fucking stupid. I don't think I've ever seen any movies by him. Hmm. I do like Sam Raimi, though. Yeah, uh, and the trailer for uh, Crawl seems fun. It, it looks, looks very effective for what it is, which is a movie I have no interest in seeing. Yeah, but... and I like um, the, uh, the cast is... Uh, yeah, Barry Pepper's the dad, and, and Kaya Scottolario. Yeah, from Skins. Yeah, I have never seen her in anything other than Skins, and show in which, if I remember correctly, she didn't have a, a single line for the first she season. She did later, yeah, but well, yeah, not. she eventually became the lead. But like, right. her joke was that she never talked for the first right. two series. Yeah, she was Tony's sister. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so that movie, uh, Stuber, which oh, is God. what happens when you take stew and, and you make him drive an uber <laughs> when you take stew and mix it with branded marketing <laughs> so those are the only nationwide releases on july 12th and i guess as previously mentioned spider-man 2 came out wait Spider-Man. Week. yes so um to be clear we we are in case you can't tell by the similar audio quality of two episodes that are different from every other episode. Uh, we recorded uh, this one and our Toy Story 4 episode the same night. Right. Um, it is now 5 a.m. No. <laughs> yeah, no, no. Um, but, uh, uh, but so we don't know what's going to be number one this weekend, but we can pretty safely assume it'll be Spider-Man, um, which Spider-Man. I have already seen. So hopefully it'll maintain a second weekend so that I can uh, save a movie ticket. But yeah. Um, but yeah, it's 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 competition is just crawl and, and Stuber. Stuber. Yeah. All right. Unless so we'll Midsummer. talk about so we'll talk about <laughs> Spider Man next next week. Yeah, but that would be my sad guess. I don't want to see Spider Man, but I guess I'll have. Yeah. One. I mean, Veronica, famously a spider hater. I know. Spider Man hater. Why is he a teenager? You are you are the anti John Peters. 
Oh, God, yes. Anyway, as previously mentioned, it's 5 a.m. And it's time for us to go home. The police is here. The sirens are so much louder. This apartment, uh, no offense, but I think you would admit we are in a, uh, another person's apartment. So much nicer than your apartment. <gasps> I Offense. I think, well, we, we've talked about this before. Your apartment's so much nicer than my apartment. So in the chain of apartments, this is way better than both of ours. And yours is already way better than mine. But I gotta say, we record in your apartment all the time. Uh, I think this you're gonna have to do so much more work cleaning up the uh, sirens on this one. Yeah, it's kind of upsetting. Hey, money can't buy you anything. Or as they said, mo money, mo problems. Yeah, and they were t- specifically talking about sirens and. Uh, yeah, those are the problems. That's a yeah. problem, John. Would you classify it as an asset? Yeah, that was a line from uh, that classic uh, Will Smith song, uh, "Wild Wild West," right? Yeah. Yeah. Those sirens is coming in. <laughs> I'm too tired to actually come up with a rap. All right. Well, I think that that'll be enough enough talking about fucking Wild Wild West for tonight. Cisco, Cisco. <laughs> Remember also Stevie Wonder was in that number. I I'm I'm really going with my idea that the thong song was inspired by the Biling song from <laughs> Wild Wild West. <laughs> I'm going. You know what? I'm going to go onto IMDb and write that as trivia, and just hope that it just starts getting spread as fact. I think you should, because there's so much useless trivia on IMDb. <laughs> uh, should we? Uh, we should wrap it up. Should we get off with a different song? Na 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 na. Getting jiggy with it. Na 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 na. Na 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 na, getting jiggy with it. Toot toot. toot. <laughs> Good night.